Would you turn with me, please, in your Bibles to 1 Timothy? I'm going to talk about something that really grieves my heart. Um, this has been a, a, a very amazing week for me trying to prepare this message. I, uh, I wrestled, wrestled, and wrestled with it. This was, in, without question, the most difficult time I had. What I had to do, for your information, was to separate myself from, uh, from the message. Um, the last thing I want to do is to, to, uh, to uh, have a, an agenda. Uh, to to preach something that I, I think this is mine, this is, uh, yes. I, I try to uh, separate myself, and I had the hardest time trying to do that. And um, and and uh, so it, usually I get, um, the message is done sometimes by Thursday, and then I go all over it Friday, kind of put everything in order. I don't know if you've ever seen my notes, but my notes are in kind of big font, and I type them out like this and, and highlight some of the things. Uh, you can't see it, but it, it, uh, I, I usually get that done by sometime Thursday and then, and then take all day Friday if I have to to kind of put it in place so that it, it fe- I feel like I own it. I feel like I know it. And, and all I have to do is see a word and I know what, I'm, uh, what the Lord wants us to, to uh, talk about. And, and, but this week I, I wasn't even close to through, being through uh, Thursday or Friday. I got up early, early Saturday morning and, and uh, worked on it and, by the grace of God, uh, finished it. But it was a, it was a wrestling match, and, and hopefully you'll understand why as I, I, I speak to you about what is in these, uh, this particular place in Scripture. I, I would love for you to read with me in First Timothy. Um, uh, let, let, let's just, um, if you don't mind, I, I will go back over verses 1 and 2. I understand we already did that, um, and, and I'll read through verse 7 with you. But I want to just kind of set the tone. We, we, let's remember that, that Paul is writing um, Timothy, and there's only two people in Paul's life that he wrote these things about where he says is in, where he says, says as I said, where he says in verse 2, my true child in the faith. He calls that of, of uh, not only Timothy, but Titus as well. And so he's writing to, to Timothy in this case, and Timothy he is pleading with him, as you're going to read with me in a moment, to stay on at Ephesus. And the reason being is there's some people in Ephesus that are causing the church grief. And, and uh, as we're going to see in the second book, the Timothy, the, the second uh, Timothy, was, is, is that Paul encourages Timothy not to have a spirit of timidity, not to be fearful. Uh, but rather one of power and, and, and love and, and, and discipline. Uh, and so what Paul is doing is he's trying to encourage Timothy, which as we saw last week when, when Paul said that he was a, an, an apostle, this time he didn't write by the will of God, if you remember. He wrote by the commandment of God. In other words, Paul was emphasizing to Timothy, look, this is a command that has been placed on my life. And, and this command that, that I have is not just a, a command to, to me. He says it's a, I, I, it's a command to, the, to anyone that would follow after our Lord. There's, there's, there's really rich principles that follow our wanting to be men and women of God. And, and there's, there's, there's roads to travel and there's, um, things to do, and it's not simply, a, a, oh, I accept Jesus Christ into my heart, now everything is fine. It's a, it's, it's a road really well journeyed that you and I need to 
finish the faith that God has given to us. And so he is encouraging Timothy to do what is right in a very difficult situation. This you need to know. So, let's read verses 1 through 7. Paul writes, Paul, an, an apostle of Christ Jesus, according to the commandment of God our Savior, and of Christ Jesus who is our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace and mercy and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. Verse 3, As I urged you upon my departure for Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus, in order that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines, nor to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies which will give rise to mere speculations rather than furthering the administration of God, which is by faith. But the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and sincere faith. For some men straying from these things have turned aside to fruitless discussions wanting to be teachers of the law even though they do not understand either what they are saying or the matters about which they make confident assertions. Father, I beg of you from the very beginning of this prayer that you would move me aside. I beg of you, Father, that you would not allow me to have any agenda that is of my own, but rather, Father, that I would teach purely the Word of God Father, you have written things out for us, and you, Father, have explained things very well through your apostle, Paul. He commands Timothy, he urges Timothy, he begs with Timothy to be a man of faith and to be a man that will confront problems within his church. <clears throat> May we be the same. May we, Father, have that, that spirit of... Um, of power and love and discipline. And, and may we, Father, be a, a people who love you. Lord, would you, would you bless us by opening up our eyes so that we might behold wonderful things from your law? And where it's applicable, Father, will you teach us? If we need to be convicted, so be it. Father, if we need to be comforted, please, if we need to be convinced, concerned, or whatever, Father, may you move with compassion upon us and mercy upon us to, to be able to hear your voice in the stillness of this, this place. Lord, thank you for who you are. Bless each and every person here. I pray your blessings upon us all. In Jesus' precious, precious, precious name, Father, amen. Well, <clears throat> Paul is, uh, is attacking a problem within a church. Within every church, there's a potential for sin. There's a potential for falsehood. There's a potential for disharmony. That happens both to the leadership as well as the congregation as a whole. It, it, it will spread if it's not controlled. It will. So to help them to move the church correctly, Paul is going to deal with the belief system within the church, and then the conduct within the church. 
I think what we believe as a church, this is for you and me, what we believe as a church must be right before God, before our conduct can be right. May I repeat that, please? What you and I believe as a body of believers must be right before God, before our conduct can be right. It's simple to say, oh, I'm... Don't worry about me. I'm, I'm in all the way until trouble hits. And then you find out the character of someone. No. What we believe within our heart must be right before God so that our conduct can be right before God. You see, wherever God sows truth, truth, wherever God has sown truth within the Word of God, His arch enemy, Satan, endeavors to sow falsehood or error, or disunity. It's no surprise then. One of Satan's most persistent attacks upon the church has been through false doctrine, lies, and division. And these sins have been the very core. If I can, after studying Ephesians, it is the battleground. It is where we're to put on the full armor of God because... The church has had to fight this battle throughout history. It was back in the day when Paul wrote Timothy and is here today. Now how serious is God against those who come against him or, more importantly, come against his church? Well, there's an Old Testament example as well as a New Testament example. First, let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 13. That's Hold your place here, of course, and Deuteronomy is way to the front of your Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and then Deuteronomy. It's the fifth book in. And it's the 13th chapter. And I recognize that this is for Israel, but I want you to see some of this is is relevant to you and me today, of course. It is written in Deuteronomy chapter 13, verse 1, If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams rises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder. Now that's a marvelous thing. Our Lord, excuse me for a moment, I'm going to take this little trip with you. Our Lord used signs and wonders to verify his word with the apostles in, in 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 the church age when it all began. The apostles did signs and wonders to verify that they were speaking from God. So we see if a prophet or a dreamer of dreams comes and gives you a sign or a wonder, and, verse 2, the sign or the wonder comes true concerning which he spoke to you, saying, let's go after other gods whom you have not known, and let us serve them. You shall not listen to his words. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you to find out if you love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and let me add, with all of your might. Verse 4 says, You shall follow the Lord your God. You shall fear Him. You shall keep His commandments and listen to His voice. You shall serve Him and you shall cling to Him. But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death. Why? Well, because he has counseled rebellion against the Lord your God, who brought you from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery. He seduced you from the way in which you, excuse me, 
to seduce you from the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk, so you shall purge the evil from among you. Now, I know this is written to Israel. I know this is an Old Testament message. But the principles of following after God are true for the church today as it was to Israel in that day. We're not to tolerate sin. We're not to tolerate those who would take us away from God. We're not to tolerate those who would take us away from the word of truth. We're not to tolerate those who would bring disunity to the body of Christ. And just as it was in the Old Testament, so Paul mentions in Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. You can turn back to, to, uh, to Timothy and you, well, you know, go, you'll go to the left, of course, and you'll go past, uh, uh, first and second, uh, Thessalonians and then Col- Colossians, Philippians, and then you will find Ephesians and then Galatians. In Galatians chapter 1, Paul says these words, I, I love Paul for saying this. Paul comes to this church and he says, I am amazed. I'm I'm utterly astounded, he is saying, that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is not really another. Only there are some who are disturbing you. And they want to distort the gospel of Christ. And then he says, if if we were to come to you, in verse 8, or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel which is contrary to what we have preached to you, that, then he is accursed. Or in other words, he is damned. As we have said before, I say to you now again, he says in verse 9, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to that which you have received, that one person is to be accursed. Back to First Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, Paul urges Timothy to stay in Ephesus. The word urged is an interesting word. It's it's P-A-R-A-K-A-L-E-O in the Greek. It it is to beg. Paul is pleading. He is imploring Timothy, stay in Ephesus, Timothy. They need you there. Now, you can take from that, it's very simple to surmise that perhaps Timothy was considering leaving. Perhaps he was considering leaving because it, it got to be too nasty. It was too tough. Look at Second Timothy, just to the right, just a couple pages, chapter 1 and verse 7. See, Paul says to Timothy, God has not given you, Timothy, a, a spirit of timidity. He's not made you timid, not fearful, but he's given you power. He has given you love, and he's also given you discipline. So Paul says in verse 3, Timothy, remain in Ephesus. And if you're back in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 3, he says, I want you to instruct them. Now, that's an interesting word because you would think, I want you to teach them, he's saying. But that's not what the word instruct means here in the Greek. The word struck is P-A-N-G-E-L-L-O. is P-A-R-A-N-G-E-L-L-O. It does not mean to teach them. It means to command them. Command them, Timothy. Command obedience from those who are teaching falsehood within the church. God has not given you a spirit of timidity, Timothy, but power, love, and discipline. 
In verse 3 of 1 Timothy chapter 1, doctrine refers to what ought to be taught within the body of Christ. We already know that. We went through it. We went through the book of Acts and we doubled back and came back to Acts chapter 2 verses 41 to 47. And we tried to explain to everyone who comes here to this church what this church is founded upon. There are four characteristics of a church. Really six, but in, in, in this case there are four things that characterize a church. It's, it's, it's following the apostles' teachings, the doctrine that the apostles give us. In other words, doing this, understanding what is written within these pages. Then there is having fellowship with one another. That means that we are to encourage one another, to lift each other up, have fellowship with one another. It is so needed within the body of Christ. Then we're to pray for one another. And we're also to break bread with one another, or in other words, have communion, the Lord's Supper with one another. There, these are the four fingerprints, if you would, of the visible local church, as well as supporting the church, giving financially, and worshiping, lifting our voices and singing unto the Lord. <clears throat> Listen, a church is not a true church of Christ if its doctrine is not built upon the apostles' teaching and fellowship and prayer and breaking of bread, of giving, and of worshiping. But it wasn't just Timothy that, that Paul is speaking to. I want you to note something very, very interesting. Back to 1 Timothy chapter 1, but slide to the right just a few pages to Titus. In other words, you'll go past 2 Timothy, and there I think you will find Titus. Paul in fear infers that the false teachers, or those who are causing disunity within the church, are not to, to, to be taken lightly. They are to be stopped, and that is to be the truth in every church. Paul said to Titus, as well as to Timothy, Titus chapter 1. You want to read some startling words? Look at verse 10 and 11 with me, please. Paul says to Titus now, There are many rebellious men, empty talkers, and deceivers, especially those of the what? Circumcision. That means so-called believers. Can you imagine? Paul is saying to Titus, Titus, beware, because there are many rebellious people, empty talkers and deceivers, even within the family of God. He says in verse 11, they must be silenced or stopped. Why? Because they are upsetting families. They're teaching things they shouldn't teach. For the sake of sordid, that means dirty. That doesn't necessarily mean financial gain. It means just gain. It might be personal gain. It might be gain for whatever reason. Look, at there are some, he says, within the body of Christ who have, who have, are, have a rebellious spirit. They're, they're, they're empty talkers. They're deceivers. They're, they're, they're trying to, to upset the family of God. Stop them. Silence them, Titus. Stop them. Silence them, Timothy. Stop them. Silence them, Pastor John. 
People are members of a church who who decide to leave for one reason or another. That's true in every church. God bless them as they go, if they go for the right reasons. But some become upset and they, they sowed seeds of disharmony. Maybe when they leave, they, they send back emails and things like that to say, oh, this, that, and the other. And, and they make accusations that they can't confirm, and yet they make these accusations so as to upset the family of God. I say to you, you're not to listen to them unless they have proof of of any accusation against those who they may be accusing. Back to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3, he says there are certain, certain people. That implies a that false teachers were few in number. I believe that. I always believe there's not the, the majority of those who are disgruntled. I don't believe the majority of us are, are trying to cause disharmony or, 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 or error within the church. I don't believe that for a moment. But most than like, more than likely, these were elders or peoples of influence that were doing this within the church. Paul warned, you don't need to turn there, listen, when he said in Acts chapter 20, verse 30, from among your own selves, in other words, from the body of Christ, the church family, men are going to arise speaking perverse things that will try to draw away the disciples after them. Now I say to you that that it was probably elders or people of influence. Why do I say that? Well, we can conclude that that false teachers were either elders or people influenced because they were teaching within the body of Christ. Look at verse 7. He says, they want to be teachers of the law. Look down at verse 20. Among these are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom Paul says, <coughs> I have delivered over to Satan so that they will not be they, they may be taught not to blaspheme. In other words, Paul, not the church, asked Hymenus and Alexander to leave, which, which implies they were in a position of power. The congregation couldn't do it. Paul had to do it. Look at chapter 3 at verse 2. It says, an overseer then must be above reproach. He must be a husband of one wife. He must be temperate and prudent, respectable, hospitable, and able to teach. So we can surmise that when Paul talks in verse 3 of certain men, false teachers, he's talking about people of influence within the church. And Paul stresses that these people were to be publicly disciplined. Look at chapter 5 and verse 20. Those who I hear you turning pages. I'm sorry, I'll I'll wait. Chapter 5, verse 20. Those who continue in sin rebuke in the presence of all. Rebuke them in front of everybody, saying, so that the rest of the congregation may may be fearful of sinning. Nowadays, we cannot do that, lest we be sued. See, being a person who is an elder or a person who is a leader or a person of influence in a church can
can, if they want to be rebellious, do some very difficult things within the body of Christ and can disrupt families. Dr. McGee writes, as well as uh, Dr. John MacArthur, whom I study pretty extensively as far as trying to understand Scripture and understand where I, I stand as a man who wants to be above reproach as best I know how. Well, Dr. McGee says, if the teaching of the church is not right, then it's not a church. I think we do that here. At least we try. He writes, it doesn't matter how many deacons or elders or pastors or song leaders or choirs or Sunday school teachers you might have. If the doctrine is not correct, then it's not a church. And the doctrine must be that of the apostles. And so he says in verse 4, don't pay attention to any fables or myths or endless genealogies. You see, in Ephesus, for Timothy's sake, there was a heartland of false religion. In that day, the, the most popular temple was the Temple of Diana. And, and, and in there happened the most despicable of things. It, was, it might as well have been a brothel, folks. It wasn't a place of, of worship. It was a brothel. And Paul's reference in verse 4 to fables and myths could possibly mean the philosophy of men, which bore its roots in secularism and, and what universities, liberal universities teach today, almost all of our universities. We have some of the same teaching today of fables and myths. Some seminaries, for crying out loud, some universities teach that Scripture is a fable, it's a myth. The stories are imagined by some of the folks who, who really didn't exist within them. They're just trying to make a point. It, 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 Jonah wasn't really swallowed by a fish. Come on, who can swallow a fish? Well, can God have a fish swallow you? You bet he can. Why even doubt that? You don't understand it, neither do I, but why doubt it? Can God do it? Fables and myths, probably one of the most real examples of that came in early in my life as a Christian. My wife and I went off to a school of theology, tried to learn. I, I didn't know when I first came to Christ the book of, of, of Genesis from the book of Revelation. I, and I wanted to learn because I wanted to be responsible when I went to teach, if I were going to go and teach. And, and for seven years when I was in ministry, the first seven years I never taught a word because I, I didn't feel like I could. But I got guys like Dr. Uh, Dr. M MacArthur and, and Chuck Smith and Chuck Swindoll. Whew. I mean, these guys were heavyweights coming in and teaching the athletes that I was dealing with. They got to be good friends and they encouraged me at every level. Well, I learned something really fast when I was in my faith. I went off to the School of Theology to try to learn more. And so one of our assignments was to go door to door trying to draw people to Christ. Oh my gosh, you talk about something I don't want to do. It's cold turkey out upon a family in the middle of the evening and, and, and tell them about Jesus Christ. I like to have a... a a friendship with someone first. I like to get to know them so that they can maybe trust in me and I get to know where they're coming from. But 
I, if nothing else, I really am obedient. And so they said, go. And I said, we're going. And I went out and I knocked on some doors. And I came to this one family. And, and, and lo and behold, they invited me in. And, and lo and behold, they asked me to sit down at a kitchen table with them. Lo and behold, when I said, would you like to accept Christ? They got off of their chairs and they kneeled on their... I didn't ask them to do that. They kneeled on their kitchen floor. And so I kneeled with them. And we prayed that, that Jesus Christ would come into their hearts and forgive them of their sins. And, and it was amazing. They were crying. I was crying. It was amazing. And then they said, you have to do us a favor. And I said, anything. That I've learned in, in the process. I don't do that much anymore. But one person asked me, would you marry us? And I said, sure. And, and, he, and he would do you mind? And I said, no, I'll do it anywhere, any place, anytime. Good. He says, we want to jump out of a plane. I said, you're insane. I cannot, I cannot do that. I won't do it. I can't do it. I, I, he said, but you said you would. I know I lied. I can't. I won't jump out of a plane. So I try not to say that anymore. And they asked me, would you do something for me? And I said, anything. And they said, well, you have to go back to our, our Catholic pastor, our, preach, our, our priest, and, and explain to him what we just did. And I gulped, and I said, okay. And I went to their church, and I got there early, and I went to the secretary, and I said, my name is John Juarez, and I'm supposed to see you. And I forget the father's name, and and, and, and I sat, and she said, he's not here yet, but he'll be here shortly. Go sit around the corner. And I sat, and I was there no more than four or five minutes when I heard a voice booming come in and says, is that Jesus freak here yet? Oh, he's talking about me, I think. And I look around the corner, and sure enough, and she goes, you know, and he says, so he invites me into his office, and we start to talk, and he says, well, what have you done to these people? And I said, well, I've shared with them what I'm sure you would want them to know. I've just shared them about a, a, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And, and, and he says, well, what, what, what religion are you? And I says, it's, it's, it's just faith in Christ. and It's just things that are written within this book. And I had my Bible with me, and he says, well, you can't believe everything in there. He said, there are many ways to God. And I said, there are? Oh, he says, yeah. He says, are you telling me some wonderful... And then he started naming all of these religious groups. And he, he tried to show me how smart he was. And he was real smarter than me. And he was naming groups I never heard of before or since. And, and he says, you mean they who never heard of Jesus are going to hell? And I said, yes. And he said, he golfed. And he says, who do you think you are? And I says, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Who are you? I learned real early that some people will believe myths and fables instead of understanding the Word of God. And they'll follow after, as it says in verse 4, endless genealogy. That refers to, in the church in those days, there was a continuation of Judaism. And so there was one genealogy after another, one group of people after another. And, and they started following genealogies rather than following and dealing with God, where, where God works in different dispensations and he works with different generations in different ways. You just have to study to know that. But, but what they were trying to do was to confuse the line of Christ and they wanted to fit Jesus Christ into some generation so that he could be just another created being. Cults do that today. They try to make Jesus just another created being instead of the son of the living God who is 
born on this earth by a virgin for a purpose, so that he might go to the cross and shed his blood for the forgiveness of your and and my sin. And he says in verse 4, Paul does to Timothy, listen, if you go after these myths and these fables and these endless genealogies, it's going to give rise to to mere speculation. In other words, people are going to, their minds are going to go spiraling out of control rather than furthering the administration of God, which is by faith. You see, Jesus Christ is the very author of yours and my faith. In other words, Paul is saying to Timothy, all of these types of false teachings, these myths, these fables, these genealogies, they won't build you up in the faith, Timothy. You've got to stop that false teaching. You've got to stop whatever is trying to upset your families within your church. Because to follow that way will eventually produce individuals who will reject eventually the Word of God and who will reject the church. And so Paul says to Timothy in verses 5, 6, and 7, the goal of our instruction is to love people from a pure heart. To love people with a good conscience and a sincere faith. Because he says some men are straying from these things and they've turned aside to fruitless discussion. They want to be teachers of the law even though they don't understand either what they are saying or the matters about which they make confident assertions. People, we are going through that battleground right now here at the Rock Community Church. I want you to turn with me as we close to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Please, it's to the right. We'll close. You don't even have to hold 1 Timothy anymore, although we'll be back there next week by the grace of God. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, it says it best. In verse 16, Paul says to Timothy, Avoid worldly and empty Chatter, because it's going to lead to further ungodliness. And he says in verse 17, this talk will spread like gangrene, in other words, like cancer. It'll spread from one family to the next family to the next family to the next family. Did you hear? Do you know? Did, is, it, is it possible that? Can you imagine what they did to them? Do you know what's going on in front of you right in this church? And this, this talk will spread like gangrene. Verse 23. In fact, it says that among them, Paul again mentions Hymenaeus, who must have been a real scoundrel, and this other guy named Philetus, I guess. And then in verse 23, he says, Refuse. Refuse foolish and ignorant speculations knowing that they will just produce what? Quarrels. Disharmony. Folks, this church is my life. I want this church to be everything that you want it to be. I have no agenda for this church. I have no... 
I want you to be happy in it. There's going to come a time where you're going to have to trust me or not. You have to trust my character or not. I'll stand by it. But there are some who are trying to disrupt, disrupt some families. I know. I asked one pastor friend of mine, what would he do? He has a huge church, though, but he says, uh, sometimes, John, you have to choose which hill you're willing to die on. Um, I think I understood what he meant. I want you to know you are loved here in this church. We want to be all that you want us to be as a place that you can come and worship and trust. Father in heaven, protect churches that, that preach the, the gospel. Protect the, this, this onslaught of the evil one that must be coming against so many other churches as well. And let us learn from what Paul is saying to Timothy. Let us not have a spirit of timidity. Let's not be fearful, but really a, a spirit of power and love and discipline. So watch over us, Father, and, and any other church that names the name of Christ. Care for us all. We pray this in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. I love you all more than I can ever put into words. Thank you so much for being here. I will see you next week, Lord willing.